0: Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Here was us hoping we'd be talking about uh, end of series between England and India, but alas, uh, not to be. Following the Twitter sphere leading up to the game, we're all pretty disappointed not to see that Old Trafford test go ahead on Jimmy Anderson's home ground. We've still got plenty to talk about on the podcast, though. Of course, covering the England-India aftermath, Australia-Afghanistan, Black Caps and Bangladesh wrap up. And a whole heap of stuff around T20 and the restart at the IPL. All coming up on the Top Order podcast after the swish. Well, guys, plenty of cricket going on around the world still. And a lot of it for our viewing pleasure over the course of the last week. But the one thing we have missed is that final uh, fifth test match between India and England um, due to be played at the Emirates Old Trafford. A lot of disappointed fans who would have forked out for train tickets, hotels, bacon sandwich on the way to the ground, a couple of beers, um, early doors in their local Wetherspoons. And then they get to the ground and, and unable to, to see any play because um, it's been called off. Lots and lots of press around this, lots and lots of different views on the reasons. And we're still a little bit unclear as to even how this affects the World Test Championship um, with at the moment uh, the, the game being cancelled as opposed um, to postponed. Um, I'm sure we'll unpick all of that as we go. But your guys' thoughts first and foremost as we yeah, sit here recording on this Monday in lockdown here in Auckland?
1: Well, as a cricket fan, it's incredibly disappointing not to see a conclusion to that Test series that was poised you know, for a reasonable, reasonably exciting finale. At the Old Trafford, of course, a good ground for England to play on. They played bubble cricket there last year, and that's really the irony is that we were managed to get grounds in far more difficult conditions last year in terms of biosecure bubbles but weren't able to get them going again uh, this time around. So a massive disappointment for us as fans but I guess you have, to, um, you have to take what India have said at face value in that they didn't feel safe or comfortable playing and, and you have to take what they've said at face value I think and uh, certainly Surav Ganguly uh, has had a lot to say uh, to the Crick Info Press today and we can cover that as, as well if you want to.
2: Do we have to take what India says at face value? Because I think that's probably uh, the the thing that has upset a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people, you know, immediately just go, this is down to the IPL and everyone just wants to get back to the IPL. They never wanted to play this game. I suppose we're never really going to know. But I mean, what do you guys make of that kind of claim?
0: Yeah, well, look, I'm happy to jump in if no one else is uh, going to. Uh, look, I think it's a really difficult one because you've got some differing views. I think what was odd to me is in the immediate aftermath. Um, and look, you can only imagine what's going on behind the scenes in all of this, right? So um, if you believe all the conspiracy theories the Indian team was seen out and about um, in and around Manchester on Thursday, they didn't train on the day before the game, which if you don't train on the day before the game, um, typically probably means you weren't intending to Uh, to rock up and play in in the fixture, would be my take on it. But then there's a a counterpoint. I think then Tom Harrison was obviously behind the scenes with his counterparts at the BCCI, trying to figure out what the communication was. And um, I think it was all coming out really quite quickly. And um, there was a retraction almost immediately after they'd said that the series had been forfeited, then it wasn't forfeited. Um, And then Tom Harrison made a comment that said, this is absolutely nothing to do with the IPL. Um, But when you kind of do the math, I think it's got everything to do with the IPL. And I say that without any blame or um, anything that I'm going to level on the players. I personally blame the cricket boards here. We knew that India thought it was pretty tight coming into this series and to get the amount of cricket into this English summer as they needed to and still get back safely and to complete the IPL. So it's a delicate balance, I think, between that TV revenue um, and the players operating under these increased, uh, you know, increasingly stressed environments. And I guess when we look back at it logically, to be honest, expecting a five-test series to, A, be reasonable to put the players through that and, B, even be completed in a country where I think last week there was 38,000 cases per day on average um, in the UK. It, it's pretty freaking ludicrous to think that that was going to be completed. But I... On the counterpoint, don't buy the line that that's got nothing to do with the IPL. If any of those players had attested positive, they would have had to stay in the UK for at least ten days, meaning they missed uh, the start of the IPL um, tournament. And, and look, I think that you know they're off to their you know uh, bubbles with their teams, where we know they're tremendously looked uh, well looked after um, for their franchises, um, and you know protecting to an extent the payday. I don't necessarily think it's about the money. I think it's more about the the convenience piece and the, and the fact that a lot of these guys have now got young families that travel with them as well. So I don't blame the players one bit, um, but I think the boards could have probably had a bit more of an honest conversation a little bit earlier on and said, do you know what? We can't really squeeze five tests into this summer and still get the IPL in. Uh, something's got to give and it's going to need to be um, a test match. And that's the reality, I think, of uh, the way that cricket's going to be played over the course of the next 12 months as this uh, virus still affects uh, world cricket. But, yeah, that's my rant. Over.
3: Yeah, for me, I actually, um, interestingly, I agree with Binksy on that to some extent. Uh, back after the fish. <laughs> I think if you trace that back to, um, you know, Ravi Shastri's book event, where this is all, it's been the catalyst for this whole thing. The major thing that's changed uh, between then and now is that, Due to this COVID outbreak and, and the, you know, COVID breaking the bubble or the, the, what's it called? The living arrangements, the managed living arrangements that they're living in, uh, was that a six-day quarantine would need to be held in the UAE, whereas prior to that it was going to be a bubble-to-bubble bubble transfer, no quarantine required. So I think that that's the main thing that I can see that's changed. And we did ask this question earlier when we talked about the IPL coming about. Can the IPL hold itself up with their domestic players, who aren't there, who are who aren't with domestic players who aren't their franchise players? Um, and I think we found the answer to that. I think that, that we found out that no, they're not willing to take that risk, and that, that's essentially what's happened here. I believe I don't think that we can go down the line of of bubble fatigue and and, and things like that uh, in this instance, um, but. Conversely to that, I think that the the reaction also ha, has been has been a little bit poor. I feel like I think that everybody was ready to be quite aggressive about this this this, this pullout uh, of the um, of the series. And at the end of the day, like Binksy said, this has been a, a massively long tour for the Indian players. They turned up a month before the first test started, um, and then prior to that, were quarantining in India before coming uh, coming to England. So. Yeah, I think in this day and age, uh, how people tour uh, needs to be looked at going forward.
2: Yeah, well, can I just pick up on that and say, I I feel like the warning signs have been there that something like this was going to happen. I mean, we've seen players put, you know, I think we we said originally when we were first talking about the IPL, I think you said it, Raj, that players are going to talk. Uh, with, with their feet you know they're going to go to these tournaments if they want to go to the tournaments and we're suddenly starting to see players say no I, I don't want to go to that tournament and you know they're making themselves unavailable for for international duty okay is, is this actually sustainable is there a, is there just too much cricket now in this changed environment maybe there was too much cricket beforehand
1: well I think having 3 IPLs run in the in the period of of 12 months has certainly put a strain on on scheduling and I think boards have tried to do the best they can both to fit in the mandated schedules around the World Test Championship and also the one day super series that's now being played for for qualification for the the World Cup uh, for the 50 over World Cup, and also to try to prepare the sides as best they can for for T20 World Cup, while also allowing those players to go and play in the big four domestic tournaments in the IPL, the Big Bash, uh, the Hundred in this case, or, or the Vitality Blast in England, and also you know you know whichever you you prefer as your uh, as your. Um, T Twenty domestic league of choice, either the CPL or the Pakistan Super League. So, with all of those tournaments going on, it's it's always going to be difficult uh, for players to to try and figure out the right balance of touring life and also earning an income from playing cricket. You know, Sourav Ganguly came out today and said the players refuse to play, but you can't blame them. You know, this the physio being such a close contact of the players, the only one available, um, mixing freely with the players and performing their tests and giving them massages. They were devastated when he tested positive. So, you know, there's there's a fair amount of emotional toil that these players are, are going under, living in that bubble. And, you know, Ganguly goes to speak on it uh, um, at length. But the players are having to, as you say, Stuart, make some really, really tough decisions around which tournaments they play in and I can't see it changing with the way that the IP, uh, that the ICC has scheduled international cricket with at least one if not two major tournaments every year when you think about the World Test Championship every two years then you've got the Champions Trophy coming back and World Cups in 50 over and T20 cricket there's just going to be no relenting on the schedule of cricket between now and 2031 which is when they've locked in that schedule for so look something is going to have to give at some point
3: I've got an interesting question uh, to to the panel here. Is this a is this a forfeit?
2: Who who know? I I I have no idea because I, you don't know the situation. I think that's that's it's going to be a really tough situation for the IP uh, for the ICC to kind of determine. They I mean they are the ones that are going to hopefully get the truth right. I mean look if like Baldy says if this physio had had tested positive uh, in enough time and uh, every single player has been a close contact of that physio. They've all had work on them. Then I, I feel like, you know, the way Delta's being talked about and the way it's spread around communities, <clears throat> I think it's a no brainer that they, you know, that they would be worried that there was going to be a positive test. The fact that there has been no positive tests so far, who knows? You know, there's been talk of, you know, players vaccinated. Does that matter? I'm I really don't know. And and I think it's really tough to kind of try and answer that. I'm, I would love to know because I actually have a bet on the series of India winning that series and it still hasn't actually paid out. And I would, I would like that to happen at some point. But uh, yeah, I, I don't feel confident enough to answer that.
0: Look, I'm, so, I'm sure someone will correct me, but um, I think in the immediate aftermath, I think one of the big things is around the insurance payout that the ECB would have got um, versus a yeah, cancellation versus a forfeiture. Um, And then I think needing some clarity around the way that the rules were written by the ICC for a COVID cancellation specifically. Mm. And the fact that no players have tested positive um, prior to that, um, it's going to test their decision-making ability. I don't think it's going to come down to the ICC making that call. I think it's going to come down to the conversations between the BCCI and the ECB as to what can be tabled as a potential... Um I suppose reparation's the wrong word, but you know, how do they potentially redo this test match? Um, there's talk of actually then tacking a couple of 2020s um onto their white ball tour to England next summer um as compensation to Old Trafford so they would get to host both of those T twenties. Um, but even you know, even with a sold-out um six hours worth of you know beer fueled cricket um, in a T twenty arena, I don't think that they're gonna uh, net the same amount of cash as they would through corporate hospitality and the venue being open for even four days of a test match. So I- I'm not sure that that's going to be, um, I'm not sure that that's going to be um, the case. Someone asked the question, do we care? And I think this World Test Championship probably now makes us care more. And, and that's an odd feeling because we, we, we didn't think that at the start of the World Test Championship a couple of years ago. But all of a sudden now, I actually really care whether this is a tied series or um or not because you know it, it could make um, a bit of an intrinsic difference at the end of um at the end of that period the final point I'll just make in closing is uh, we are living in this uh, look I, I, it's been said a whole bunch of times and if you're playing covid bingo um, unprecedented times uh, team of five million be kind go hard go early all these kind of things you know a rolled out add- in for now but the biggest thing for me is, We've got to look at the choice of the player in all of this now. And just like, you know, on this call, some of us prefer uh, Burger King over McDonald's. And some of us would prefer the postman's leg over the dark horse uh, for our quiz venue, for example. And some players are going to, and that's a very niche reference to our New Zealand and Auckland listeners. But um, there's going to be players that actually prefer to be available for the IPL than for a test match. And I think we've got to actually just look at the facts that, unfortunately, the ICC is a pretty toothless governing body when it comes to um, the power of, of scheduling stuff over something else. Um, it is going to be where the, you know, where the, the broadcast deal, the revenue um, flows as to what's going to be prioritized by um, TV companies um and the players as well ultimately and maybe um for us sitting here as you know late 30 early 40 year old blokes who have always had test cricket as the pinnacle of of our part of the game maybe we've got to realize that and um, this is a little bit like probably the guys felt back in world series cricket where uh, you know the color pajamas came out they started playing soccer grounds and it was all a bit of a farce. but you know look where that's landed us now um and you know maybe this is just our. Uh, generations version of that World Series cricket in terms of player power.
3: Yeah, um, I think it's very interesting. I, I remember we asked a lot of a lot of questions around the time when cricket was getting back underway. Uh, you know, what's going to happen if there is a, a COVID test, a COVID positive test in the middle of a test match, for example? What we have to be careful of here is that this has massive impacts on on a lot of a lot of cricketers, a lot of journalists, a lot of. Um, administrators throughout the game. Like if you, if you have a look at South Africa just in the last year and a bit, they've had Australia pull out of a tour. They've had England half complete a tour. All of this stuff um, cost costs a lot of money to, to that Cricket South Africa board who was already in term, turmoil at the time. But I feel like now, because England and India, who are superpowers are involved, this is all, all of a sudden had the, the spotlight put on it, even though it's a problem that was always always there. And the regulations that were put in place were put in place so loosely that it gives them a little bit of wiggle room here in terms that the ICC now need to determine what this series is going to be classed as, whether it is a forfeiture, so the the series is equal, or it's um, it's going to be a, a cancellation slash postponement uh, to stay at two one. I just think it's it's very interesting that this is the place where we've ended up in, and it's going to be interesting to see what the actual outcome is that the ICC determines.
2: I, I just picking up on that um, to basically say, I really feel like the next six to 12 months of cricket and international cricket in particular is going to be really, really crucial because like you guys have said, this stuff is not going away. And if, if it continues down this line, then, you know, we've already talked about ashes players withdrawing. We're talking about all these players just at, it seems like it's too much for these players and like you say, the boards are losing money, you know, the way that the the fans were treated in this case, I think is, is, is pretty poor. Um, that, you know, I think that they knew probably that that game was not going to be played, or at least there was a chance that it was not going to be played. I think that all sort of, that stuff could have come out a bit earlier and people are going to start getting pretty frustrated if this stuff isn't sorted out in the next six to 12 months. And I don't know whose job it is. It's probably the ICC's job, but like you say, do they? They've never really been an interventionalist kind of organization that comes in and sorts things out. So look, yeah, it's fascinating
1: what's going to happen in the next
2: few next
1: few months. Mm. Yeah, just before we wrap up, I guess a couple of things to to take away for me. The ICC does have a decision to make because, according to uh, Tom Harrison's press release, uh, they've asked the ICC to formally adjudicate on the result of that as per two days ago, George DeBell on the Crick Info Press and surav Ganguly has come out today and said that they are happy to play a one-off test as a one-off test rather than as a conclusion to this series. So, you know, there's there's lots still to to kind of nut out in the next sort of two or three days, but, you know, ICC have kind that, of made their own... A forfeiture then.
0: If, if they're happy to call the series off at this point because they're 2-1 up and Play another test just to satisfy the revenue piece. That's saying to me that's a forfeiture, and we'll play another uh, another test. Um, yeah, sorry to cut across you, but that, yeah, that that's that's probably my take on that statement. To be fair,
1: yeah, it's it's going to be really tough to unravel all of these kind of backroom negotiations that are going on day and night between the the BCCI and and the ECB and also probably the ICC as well at this point. So we know that Tom Harrison and Surav Ganguly and and their respective boards were talking well through the night Thursday and Friday to try and nut this out. They've asked the ICC to adjudicate. The ICC has set the international major tournament schedule, so they're the ones that have kind of set that in place. They've allowed windows for these professional tournaments, so they are they are in a position where they can make that decision. My concern is whether or not they will be able to satisfy all the relevant uh, organizing committees of those major domestic tournaments and keep a, a schedule that allows us to see international cricket with meaning, um, both at the test at the test level and also you know a little bit of white ball cricket as well.
2: Before we move uh, kind of give her the swish and move away from this series, let's let's talk a little bit about the cricket and, and kind of you know, some some brief points I suppose on you know what actually happened. I know we've unpacked it all a lot, but I guess I have two thoughts. First one is just Rohit Sharma and, and how impressive he was. I know we touched on that a lot last week and and you know, you can go back and, and listen. All of that stuff still applies and like i think Binksy might have said it raj might have said it that the he's really turned himself into an all format player and one of the best going around and and i've been very very impressed with what he's done in the uk considering that's been such a challenge for him at the moment the other thing i wanted to throw back on you guys in terms of england and I, and i really feel like i don't know when it was maybe after uh maybe after that india series uh in india when you know, let's say a year ago when all of uh, all of this kind of core of young English players was picked, we had, you know, the likes of Sibley, Burns, Crawley, Pope, uh, Lawrence, all those guys, and we were going, well, look, you know, England, you could probably even throw Sam Curran in there, that England have got this core of players that they're looking to build and they're looking to create. I would say you look back at that now and say that's, bit of a failure you know it it hasn't really worked I don't know where the failure is whether it's on talent identification whether it's on development of talent but but there's not a lot of those guys that are left and if you'd gone to those selectors and said look we're going to pick all of these guys we're going to give them six months we're going to give them a year to run and then we're going to come to this fourth and fifth test of these this big series that we've got at home here and we're going to be back to David Milan and uh and Johnny though in our middle order, I think they would have been pretty disappointed.
0: Yeah, I guess I can take the England piece of that. Um, For me, look, I don't necessarily think it's about talent ID. I think what it is about is county cricket being pushed to the margins of the English season and they're not being the same... uh, a program or lions program in place to give the guys that need to come through plenty of time to play in those kind of environments and and really um learn their craft i think if you look at why england was successful um and look we we get judged a little bit or england certainly judge themselves on success in um the ashes and then success overseas in india so if you look at 2011 uh 2010 2011 where we went down under and won the Ashes away from home for, for the first time in a, in a long long time, and then a series win in um, India in 2012 uh, with you know similar ish personnel. The common factor there was um, England had copied the Australian academy system for um, you know six or seven years in the lead up to that, and got a lot of those guys playing four day cricket against quality oppositions shadow squads following when they went on overseas tours. That's not the case anymore because there just isn't the time. And you've got Johnny Bairstow getting called up back into the test side, arriving at Loughborough in the middle of the night so that he can have a couple of hits against a red ball the next day before he goes off on test match duty. That isn't the preparation that's um, that's required. So, yeah, I, the ID piece I don't think is the issue. I think it's the... Um, the build-up piece. But to echo your points, Rohit Sharma, absolute legend. And and as we said last week, India just by far uh, the better side over the uh, three comp- or four completed Test matches in the, uh, in the series.
1: I just want to pick up on one point about those young Test batters. And I want to just refer back to the career of Steve Waugh. So he made his debut 26 December 1985. Took four years to make his first Test 100. Almost 40 innings. His first 10 Test innings, he passed 13 once. The Australian selectors at that time had no choice but to stick with Steve Waugh. They had, very, they had very few other players, so they had kind of had to stick with him for a little while. But they persevered with him without scoring a Test 100. He showed lots of promise, like Crawley have, like Pope has, like Lawrence has, like Burns has, for several years before they went, you know what, actually we might try his brother. What I haven't seen from the England selectors yet is the persistence to try those guys. If they think Zach Crawley is the man for the job for 10 years for England, they need to give him two or three years in the post. And maybe maybe they've given him long enough. Maybe, I would, maybe I'm kind of alone here on the Zach Crawley mountain. But it feels to me like they've given those guys just enough to fail frequently without giving them a chance to succeed frequently. And that only comes with an extended time in the middle to figure out your game. Sometimes that works if you can play a lot of domestic four-day cricket in between your test matches. But when you're not playing enough for domestic, four-day domestic cricket, the only time you can learn to be a test cricketer is by being a test cricketer. So if you're going to marginalise the four-day game as England have and as Australia have too to, be, to the point in Sheffield Shield then you kind of have to stick with those guys who you think have got talent to see you through. I don't think it serves England cricket very well long-term to go back to Dawid Milan, to go back to James Vince, to go back to Johnny Bairstow. They are still fine, fine cricketers, and there's no disrespect there to say that Johnny Bairstow, I love watching him play. He's one of my favourite test cricketers, one of my favourite all-format cricketers. But for England to move forward in four or five years, is Johnny Bairstow going to be in that test side? Maybe not. But someone like... Zach Crawley, Dan Lawrence, Ollie Pope, they are likely to form the, the nucleus of that test site in four or five years. So they need to be given the right support in, in order to be able to succeed. They've, given, they've been given enough rope to fail in succession and then get dropped, but for mine, not enough to succeed often enough in the right kinds of scenarios. But maybe I'm alone on on Zach Crawley Mountain in that case.
3: Yeah, for me with with. Crawley and Lawrence, I guess I'm not gonna beat up on them too much, but I just I don't think they've shown the, the skills capable to play international cricket at this at this time. Um, Ollie Pope, even though he hasn't had a massive amount of success, I think that there is there is a lot of promise there with him, and, and we're starting to see that come out now um, hopefully. Uh I guess when you look at guys like um, Folks, they get he got a chance, he got a chance in going to the subcontinent and he kept really, really well. Uh, batting wasn't very hard in the subcontinent, but he he did he did an all right job. Um, I guess my my main takeaway from this series is around how I wanted to see the Indian batsmen up against the English bowlers. Unfortunately, the English bowlers um, didn't 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 quite make it throughout the whole series. The injuries and they fell over uh, and. On the other side of that, the Indian batsmen did show up. They were available, but they didn't, they fell over as well, uh, especially in the middle order. So for me, that feels a very unfulfilled um, for me. I was looking forward to this five match series to see that. But uh, I'll echo your comments on Rohit Sharma. I think uh, K.O. Rahul as well showed a lot of promise as an opening, opening batsman for India, which none of us thought that he would fill that role uh, before this series at all. Um, I think that England actually has a lot. Uh, A lot to take away from that series from a positive note. Uh, When they get people back like Joffrey Archer, like Stuart Broad, or or even Ben Stokes, when they get these people back, I see them actually being really competitive on the world stage. The test now is to go to Australia and not embarrass yourselves because very, very good teams have gone to Australia and played really, really poorly. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens as we go through the motions over the next two months to who's going to tour. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopefully, crossing my fingers, uh, that we'll have a good Ashes series down in, down under.
1: Yeah, I'm hopeful of that as well. I mean, the only guy that I would add to that list of guys that have been shining lights for England in this um, English summer is Chris Wokes. I think he just showed his quality again as, as a tremendous cricketer. We talked about him in the wrap-up of the fourth test, but he's one of those guys that I think will come to Australia and will bat with purpose. He'll make a few runs at the bottom of the order. He'll, you know, he'll just do enough with the ball. I know he's not express pace, and, and people talk about you needing to have express pace in Australia. McGrath didn't. You know, Rifle didn't. Stuart Clark didn't. Those guys all were there or thereabouts, nibbled the ball about just half a bat length like Chris Wokes does, and I think he's going to be a key for England in that down-under tour, even if they take Wood and Archer and Stokes Uh and and anderson and broad i think chris wokes is going to be one of the keys for england in that series
0: and and yeah just uh before we move on alistair cook scored 100 uh, today uh for essex so he might be dusting off uh uh, the passport and getting the vaccinations done still got it well guys we've done that segment to absolute death so we will be back after the swish um to talk about uh australia afghanistan black caps in bangladesh and a whole host more. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the pod. Look, far be it from us to delve into politics and cricket, but Australia, Afghanistan, um, looking like it may be another series that's cancelled in the very, very near future. Border, you've been keeping, I think, half an eye um, on that. Really tough for the players and and got a feel for uh, the Afghanistani uh, cricketers. Um, But yeah, how do we see
1: this playing out over the course of the next uh, few days? Well, I think Cricket Australia has made their position quite clear that they're not prepared to host Afghanistan this summer. A real shame for the players and also for the fans as well. You know, the, the test was originally scheduled for my hometown uh, to happen in August, that hasn't happened. Uh, it was then rescheduled to be played in Hobart, a venue that doesn't get very much Test cricket at all. That's then been cancelled. So, really, for me, both for the Afghanistan players to to participate in in another Test, which has been uh, which will be very disappointing for them, and also for the Australian public not to be able to see Rashid Khan. Um, you know, Mujibur Rahman, these kind of guys, Kez Ahmed, who've come down and played in BBL cricket and been, uh, you know, crowd favourites, fan favourites down under, not being able to see them roll out for their country and, and, and put on their cap and, and play Australia in tests, I think will be a great disappointment both to the fly, to the players, I should say, and also to the fans as well. Yeah,
2: look, and it, uh, I think it's another one where it, it's a let's see what happens in the next six months. And, it, you know, I mean, are they going to be in the T20 World Cup? Like, I feel like that's a question that nobody really knows. I mean, there's been nothing kind of said that, uh, about that. There's the ICC guidelines. I think I read something that, you know, they had five years to kind of sort out uh, a women's team to sort of be an, an, a, a, um, a qualified nut test nation. That hasn't really happened to, to the best of my knowledge. I mean, I think there is there there are a few ripple effects here that yeah sadly for the those Afga- afghanistani players it could mean you know yeah could mean that they're just gone completely it's going to be really tough
3: yeah i mean it, it's not a, a new situation you know we've had you know nations like uh, south africa where there's instability in the country uh we, we I, they're not an icc full member uh, anymore so i mean There's no way any team can tour there. There's even questions around touring the northern parts of Pakistan as well uh, because it's so close to to Kabul. So uh, I think that we just need to sort of get to that point now where we understand that they're unfortunately not going to be able to play with this destabilisation that's going on. And uh, let's move forward.
0: Well, on that note, let's move forward. We were talking on the last pod just how impressive Tom Latham was as captain keeper and batter for the Black Caps. Proved us all right in that final match of the five-match series. Player of the match for a well-compiled 50. Um, but Bangladesh getting over the line in the five-match T20 series, um, three games to two. Um, we asked this right at the really at the start, after the first couple of games. What, what have we learned? Um, what's the experience been like um, for the players? And Look, um, I guess, Bangladesh taking any confidence, um, having ambushed New Zealand on some pretty spin-friendly and slow wickets out there?
2: I think we learned that um, they can actually prepare decent wickets in Bangladesh. If, if anyone watched that 50-20, <laughs> the pitch was quite different. I don't know what really happened there. That was quite curious. But, you know, pr- proved to be a much more entertaining game. And, um, and one, New Zealand uh, played really well in, I thought. So, uh, you know, I guess that's that's the first takeaway. But, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the value of this series and, and you know, what it means. And I, and I asked asked the question on Facebook and got quite a, quite a lot of engagement and some really interesting answers. And I think one of the things that a few people picked up on really was around the that it's going to hopefully be really good learning for the, the test players and, and a good experience for them to be over there in those conditions that potentially we will get similar-ish conditions in India when we go there in November and December and play two tests there. And, you know, I, I know you're not really supposed to be using your your T20 games as preparations for your tests, but I think getting in that environment certainly helps them. And, and I think we've also learned a lot about some of those players, just the ability to – you mentioned Tom Latham. We've seen Ajaz Patel – I think we've just learned once again that they are good cricketers and they have value in which, whichever format of the game that we're talking about.
3: Yeah, for me, like I said in in, in the pod last week, i don't I didn't learn much from this. I mean, uh, if you look at people like uh, Ratcha Ravindra, he probably hurt a little bit if not from a selection point of view from a confidence point of view. He didn't bat well on those surfaces in general uh, struggled a little bit on that final one where the ball was zipping through a little bit but in my opinion he's our red ball specialist opener of the future who can play some white ball cricket if required but I don't think he's going to eclipse people like the likes of uh, Martin Guptill or Finnellan when it comes to white ball cricket or, or Devin Conway. Um, Finnellan uh, good segue there. He, he looked really good in that final game. Uh, him and Guppy need to bat together ASAP. I want to see what those guys can do together as a, a combo. Uh, and and Tom Latham again, all class with the bat in that um, last 2020. There, but, but but we all knew this. We knew this. This is not anything new to me. Um, overall, losing the series, uh, being bowled out for less than 100 twice, uh, is not a good look. Uh, but I do think our efforts with the ball into the field were, were really promising, and and we competed even when, when we were bowled out for um, small numbers. Just one major point that I want to take away from this series, and that is, and also the Australian series that came before us in, in Bangladesh, is that bat is king in, in in 2020 cricket that format. And if we see pitches like this in the UAE, uh, which is very possible coming up, uh, the Asian teams are really going to. The ones who can grind out in innings with the bat, they're going to have a massive, massive advantage uh, in that World Cup uh, come November.
0: Just a quick question for you, Raj and and Lippi. Did anybody um, that wasn't on the plane for this T20 World Cup um, get their business class seat reserved for that T20 World Cup from this little tour?
3: I was going to say I'm surprised that Finn Allen's not there, so I assume that they're going to be using uh, Devin Conway in that, in that in that position, opening the batting. But um, Finn Allen, uh, he he's just a devastating batsman. I think he's got a big future uh, in, in the Black Caps going forward.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I think I said it last week. The I think it's a, a an unfortunate circumstance of COVID that these these games really could never have been a trial for that World Cup and, and it's a shame that they're not because I, I think we would have seen that kind of battle where, you know, there's been a lot going around about how why isn't AJ's there? You know, he he was just tremendous in this series. And, you know, he he I think he probably, on what we've seen so far, looks like he could be incredibly useful as our potentially third spinner in that T20 lineup. However, then you think about is he going to unseat Ish Sodi, who was Player of the Series, I think, in New Zealand when we played the T20 series against Australia. Mitchell Santon has been one of our best white ball players for a long, long time. So you know, I think, and even Todd Astle, who is the one player that everyone's kind of going, well, why is Todd there ahead of Ajaz? Well, Todd Astle played against Bangladesh in the last series and got four for in his last, the last time he bowled. So you know, it's it's tricky. It's it's a hard one, and and I don't, you know. AJ has done brilliantly well, but I think we, we're going to see now Todd play and then we're going to see how well that goes. If, you know, if Todd go, doesn't go that well in Pakistan, maybe everyone's going to be still going, look, AJ should be on that plane. But if Todd performs well, then perhaps we're not even talking about this. And, and I think we have to also consider that Ajaz had played, I think, three T20s for New Zealand or even maybe even two or something before that. He hadn't hardly played a T20 game. I don't know if he's played an ODI for, for New Zealand. So, you know, he hadn't really been in that consideration. Whether that matters or not and whether the selectors should have seen that, who knows? But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's tough. And, and it's sort of the same with Finn Allen because I think that he's, I completely agree. He's, he's if he can figure out the balance between risk and reward, in uh, the way he plays his cricket shots, which, I, you know, he's 22 years old. I think he'll get there. He's going to be some player for us in that white ball format because, I don't know, I mean, just some of the shots that he played, even on those surfaces, he reverse, reverse. Sw- I was going to say reverse swept, but it was more like a reverse pull for six. He, you know, just some tremendous cricket shots. And, you know, I, I think that you're right, Raj, that they'll go with guptil and Conway, and, and they probably see Seifert in there as someone who could open uh, if that pairing, if they don't want to go with that pairing, I actually think they'll go with Seifert as kind of their closer. But um, you know, Seifert's in that mix to open, and they probably just went, "Look, we're gonna, we're just gonna go with other options at the moment." And Finn's been great, but you know, he's young, and these other guys have, have been proven so far. But I don't know, we'll see in a few weeks whether that's proved right. Raj, you're going to get your opportunity to see Gupta and, and Finn Allen play uh, over the next you know, the next few games in Pakistan because Gappie's about to join the squad for those last five T20s over there. So from one captain's knock
0: to another, Heather Knight getting England's women over the line in a pretty good series, actually, against um, the White Ferns. Um, So what do we take
2: from... Yeah, what do we take from that? Oh, you you just grab your phone there, Binksy. But... um... (laughs) I think we take, um, it's probably, I don't have, I don't know that I've got a huge amount more to add than what I said last week, because I think from a a White Ferns perspective, they'll be disappointed that they lost that game. I mean, it was a a really nail-biting game. Came down to the last over. It looked for a second there that that Amy Sathwaite was going to get New Zealand home. But then, you know, unfortunately, after bowling really well, bowled a full toss, and um, Sophia Dunkley just hit, you know, hit it up, hit it through mid-wicket for four, and, and and that was the game. But, you know, I think that they've, they've played some good cricket there and they've really shown that they can compete against England, which is sort of all we wanted at, at this point. Whether it's going to translate to the ODIs, I guess, because, you know, we're, we're building now towards the ODI World Cup. Uh, you know, whether they can continue that over the 50-over format is going to be another question. Um, I certainly hope so. Um, but, you know, we'll see on Friday and, yeah, it's... Uh, I think we just want to to continue that and and make sure that the the big players for New Zealand are the ones stepping up because if we can get Devine, we can get Bates, we can get Sathersway, and and the Kerr sisters, you know, assuming that Amelia Kerr is back for for that series, Leah Tahuhu, you know, there are there are genuine match winners in that New Zealand side, and if we can get them all performing at the right time, we're we're a chance, and that's all you want.
0: Well, boys, we'll move on to a little bit more T20 Cricket. Apologies uh, for the interruption in the background. Um, It was a withheld number, so it was either the Taliban or the BCCI trying to track me down for my comments on the podcast. So um, I've just uh, thrown that burner phone away. Let's talk about the IPL restart. Um, So, yeah, keeping tabs a little bit on the player movement. We didn't mention, actually, in the England-India, segment. I don't think a number of in England players pulling out of the IPL um, at fairly late um, stages. I've got to be honest, I don't think that's got anything to do with any sort of tit for tat. Um, I, I think it is more a case of those guys wanting to be ready for uh, the Ashes if they're selected. I think Johnny Birstow in that group um, that's kind of pulled, um, pulled pin and Wokes as well with a young family now. He's back in that um, England um, setup. I think probably just wanting to take that um, break. Um, but yeah, are we pumped for, for for this tournament and the resumption of it? Or are we sort of a little bit sort of still feeling a bit of trepidation about how it's all going to play out? There's a bit of water to go under a few bridges, I'd imagine, before we know the full makeup of all of these squads, I think.
1: Yeah, that's what's going to be the interesting thing for me. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what these squads actually end up looking like the day of the first game there's so much that could happen between now and the start of the IPL which is less than a week away um, that could completely change the the fortunes of some of these teams if you have a look at it on paper these teams have changed markedly between when we paused the IPL back in March and even to now guys like Chris Wokes coming in uh, and out you know Pat Cummins coming out and Tim Southey coming in for for KKR is is a bit of a like for like but some of the players who've Chopped and changed haven't been like for like replacements, so the balances of the squ- some of the squads have changed. And you know, if you have a look at the Royals with Stokes being being unavailable or, or Arf- Archer or Butler or whoever, you know, some of the some of the kind of dynamics of those teams are going to change markedly as well. Um, so plenty of opportunity for some players who are coming in, and and it's going to be. I don't know who's going to win this tournament. I've got no idea now um, who's going to come back and perform well because there's just been so much upheaval and change in some of these sites.
2: I can tell you that I'm, I'm not especially excited about this. I, and um, I, I'm not someone that's been super excited about the IPL uh, at all at times, but I could, I can say it's definitely say that the last couple of years I've, I've, you know, probably because I've been on, you know, we've been doing this podcast, but also just been, it, it's been played at times when, it's had its window, right? And now it just just feels like it does not have a window now and, and it's gonna be packed in. I'm you know, I'm certainly more interested in, in both the New Zealand series that are going on and all I'll be really doing in the IPL is monitoring those New Zealand players, monitoring how Glenn Phillips is going and, and I'm actually pretty excited with you know what he's been able to do. He's had a, a sort of weird kind of CPL in terms of he's played a couple of really cracking innings, played an eighty scored eighty not out overnight. Uh, here in New Zealand, and, you know recording this on a on a Monday night, and you know, but he's had a lot of failures, and and I think I always hark back now to what Colin Monroe said when he talked to us about how basically your job, certainly at the top of the order in a t in a twenty series and t twenty tournament, is to go ahead and play three or four match winning innings in your ten innings, and it you know anything else above that is kind of a bonus, and that's how I see. Phillips kind of playing, although when you come to a T20 World Cup, you don't have 10 games. You know, you've only got two, I think you've got three or four games in the pool play and then it's just knockout. So, you know, he's going to have to fire in a couple of those games potentially for us to, to get across the line. But yeah, I, in terms of actually who I think will win the tournament, Mumbai and, and Delhi to me still feel like they were the top sides before and they probably still the top sides now because primarily because of their Indian players and, and particularly Delhi, just, you know, their, their Indian core of players, which we've been talking about for a few years now is all still there. And it doesn't really matter if these, uh, the international players come and go, the, the really important players for them are, are still going to be there. And, and I think that kind of remains the same for Mumbai as well, in terms of the Pandyas and Sharma and Kishan and, and Jasprit. So look, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to, to back against those two sides.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting, actually. Uh, we've got teams that were picked for one time of year in one part of the world uh, for being literally transported uh, to another part of the world uh, at a different, completely different time of year. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Also, I like what you were talking there about, Stu, when you were talking about the momentum of those teams. Um, I think it's going to be interesting because those are the players who have been playing. Uh, I don't know when the last time those domestic Indian players played, but I don't think they've played white ball cricket in a very, very long time. So that's going to be very interesting to see who comes in in form and and with that momentum behind them. Uh, Yeah, I think I I personally am really looking forward to it. I really like watching the IPL. Uh, There is a small window there, which they managed to talk the uh, Caribbean premier league into and, um, the uh, the world cup between the world cup so it's kind of an appetizer for me for the world 2020 but um yeah i'm looking forward to it well
0: that's an awesome segue into the world of 2020 i guess on the um ipl i'll just write the sunrises off um down the bottom of the table uh, only a couple of points so they might struggle to come back into it but i think everyone else um is still in touch we're not going to go into all of the squads here and Um, You know, I think the reason I asked the question in the the black cap segment is there is the ability to name um, some reserves and these were only provisional squads for for the World Cup. So I think we'll see um, some further dropouts and injuries and perhaps the odd um, COVID test and some of those uh, reserves entering the fray. Um, But anyone got an eye on any of the particular goings on as these squads have started to come out over the last um, week
1: or so? Well, I just actually wanted to come to you first, Binksy. The England squad's been named. A couple of interesting names there. A couple of uh, names that you're big fans of, and and one or two that you're you're not so big fans of. What did you make of that England squad uh, that's been named um, for this T20 World Cup?
0: Yeah, so I think the the biggest surprise in the squad, um, for anyone that's been uh, watching English white ball cricket over the course of the last a um, couple of years, will be the return of Tamal Mills, um, who's had a very, very good 100 tournament. So uh, for those of you who don't know him, um, picked up a pretty decent paycheck um, three or four IPLs ago. Um, bowls, really good gas left arm um, pace above 90 mile an hour, but then also has a number of slower balls where he dips into the sort of 60 mile an hour with no uh, uh, sort of perceptible change to his action. Perhaps shouldn't be a surprise because Owen Morgan was talking him up quite heavily during that um, 100 competition and saying he might be a little bit of a bolter um, for this tournament. Um, Not surprising for me, but certainly someone that I wouldn't have picked um, would have been Sam Billings. Average is somewhere, look, around about 20, I think, with the bat. Um, And, yeah, wouldn't be in the top 10 wicket keepers either. Um, So I think um, there's a couple of guys uh, on the outer of that squad that have been in and around um, as well. Uh, James Vince has had a very good domestic season um, for Hampshire, um, a very, very good big back season um, last year for the Sydney team that plays in pink. I never get it right whether that's the Sixers yeah, or the, the Sixers, Thunder. Yep. The, um, and then I, I think the other one is Tom Banton, who you know can wear the gloves and, and gives it a bit of a lick as well. Um, so that's the surprise um, for me. But I'm really excited, probably the one that I'm looking out for, is Liam Livingston, um, who had a fantastic 100 tournament. Um, and I've just got a, a sneaky feeling that this yeah, you know, this tournament might actually see him um, make his way into that Red Bull side um, as well to fill one of those problem middle-order slots um, for England um, a little bit later on. Who knows, even the Ashes, perhaps.
2: He might have to bowl as well, because they've only picked two spinners, haven't they, really? They've picked, they've picked Ali and... Um... And Adil Rashid, you know, no other, no other spinner. So Livingston might have to, to do a job there. But, yeah, he's certainly right. He had an awesome 100.
0: And, guys, what else have we got our eyes on? Um, I think we've got Faf Du Plessis uh, being left out of the South Africa squad and, and very pointed to say that was left out of the squad um, in the commentary there.
2: Yeah, look, uh, from from what I'm reading, you know, I think it comes as a as certainly comes as a surprise to to us that aren't really you know following South African cricket as intently as as people who are in the country and, and big fans of of the side, you know, you you see Faf in, in all the uh, T20 tournaments and certainly performing well and think of him as someone that can, yeah, you know, I certainly think he's someone that could be doing a job for them at the, the top of the order, but you know the the line appears to be that. They pretty much just decided to stick with uh, players who are in the contracted setup, and uh, you know that seems to be the case with someone like Imran Tahir, who you know you know how much I love him and, and his celebrations. Um, and similarly with with Chris Morris, uh, as Binksy does a, a lap of his living room or his uh, his office there uh, with the arms spread wide. But you know, yeah, it it seems to be not a surprise that Tahir Morris and Duplicy are not selected, although, you know, to me, looking at that squad, I feel like they could be adding value.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm going to move on to the West Indian squad here, if that's all right with you fellas. Uh, The big elephant in the room for me is uh, Jason Holder being left out, which is incredible for me. I'm I'm really surprised he's one of the better IPL players, uh, well, one of the better players for the West Indies, uh, and he has got an IPL contract, uh, but he can't make their World Cup squad. Uh, and the other thing is that the sort of makeup that they've gone with, uh, a heavy reliance there on all-rounders. So they've only picked four specialist bowlers, uh, leaving out uh, Sheldon Cottrell. Uh, so they would be a massive reliance on the likes of um, Pollard, Bravo, Russell, and Fabian Allen, Fabian Allen to, to play a big part with the ball. So that's really interesting. And uh, the last point I wanted to make, because I have watched a bit of the CPL, sure fane rutherford has been going really well he's, he's been looked really dominant in a number of innings but he was left out and left out uh on a on a fitness standard that he couldn't keep up to which i find interesting and i'm happy to see that those standards are being uh put in place and being adhered to by the selection team so uh yeah that's for me west indies
1: the other, yeah a couple of interesting ones i mean Ro- uh, roston chase was included and and also uh, ravi Rampul for the you know for a while he hasn't played since 2015, but interestingly that Cottrell and Jason Holder, guys that I would have expected to be named, have been left out. So a few interesting selections in that West Indies side, um, and also sort of Carlos Braithwaite not picked as, as well. So lots of interesting selections in that in that um, West Indies side. Can I talk about the Indian side? Because that's intriguing me big time. This this Indian T20 squad, the first thing that's, that... I look at and I see that Indian squad is that Virat Kohli looks like he's going to open the batting because they've only picked Rohit and KL Rahul as other opening options. No Shubman Gill, no Mayank Agarwal, no Prithvi Shaw, no Shikhar Dhawan. So staples of successful IPL sides at the top of the order. None of those have been picked in that side. So it looks to me like some combination of Kohli, Rohit Sharma, and KL Rahul will open the batting uh, in that Indian side moving forward. Uh, wicket is also another interesting one so obviously Rishabh Pant has been selected as their primary wicketkeeper uh, Mumbai's Isan Kishan has also been selected as well but no room for Sanju Samson um, so there's some interesting sort of backup wicket keeping options that they've got in there as well uh, no Shreyas Iyer a- a- as a pure batsman in that in that lineup so their middle order is going to be probably Hardik Pandya um, Pant, maybe Suryakumi Yadav as well so there's lots of interesting kind of little niche kind of balance things in that Indian side and of course we'll we'll open the mic up, I think, so you want to come in and then we'll, we'll open it up to Shu to talk spin
0: Yeah, so the Ishan Kishan pick caught my eye as well in that Indian squad and um, certainly on the list that I've seen he's got the little W next to his name as the second wicketkeeper in that squad presumably after Pant and I've just got a maybe a sneaky suspicion. Um, because he has b- b- been at the top of the order on occasion for the Mumbai Indians. Is he a bolter, maybe? Um, and he's, he's actually not that necessarily there for his keeping, although we can obviously do the job. You've got a KL Rahul in the side as well. Um, w- whether or not potentially you could see Kishan at the top um of the order with um yeah, with, with either Rohit or um or Virat potentially. So yeah, th- that might be just one to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, I mean, officially he's been picked as the third opening option in this article I'm reading, but I, I read into this that Virat Kohli's probably going to open the batting, I think. that That's the way, I mean, he's come out and said that he wants to do it. Um, so if you've, if you've not picked Gill, you've not picked Agu, you've not picked Shaw or Darwin, I, I think it's probably a pretty strong indicator that Virat's going to be at the top of that order. And then you've got, you know, Yadav, Pant, Kishan, Pandya, Jadeja, um, all those kind of guys coming in after him.
3: Yeah, with, with the Ishan Kishan thing, I don't think he's been selected to open. You're not replacing Shikha Darwin with, with, with Kishan there. I think, the as we saw when India left Australia at the end of, of their tour, uh, Virat Kohli was was elevated up the order there, and in the IPL, he was opening the batting uh, with with an eye on this World Cup. So I would fully expect uh, Virat Kohli and, and um, Rohit Sharma to open there. I do find the leaving out of people like uh, shikha darwan very interesting i thought they would be uh you know, at home in those sort of conditions and we've seen how devastating they've been uh, in the white ball format uh for india and, and at the IPL level as well um but yeah over to spin over to the spin corner stew
2: oh look you know yeah give me any opportunity to talk ravi Ashwin. i did um it was it was ridiculous i um i saw i was Scanning Twitter, trying to find out any team news on on the night of uh, on that England India game, and uh, Ashwin was actually named. the 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 news had all come out come out that he was going to play. That Ravi Jadeja had a, an injury, which is sort of weird. Uh, you know, if we're if we're going down that conspiracy line that they didn't think they were playing in the first place, why did the, why did India kind of name or why did it leak out that that Ashwin was playing? But you know, it it was obviously, all a dreamly to, maybe maybe it was it, it, certainly extreme lengths to cancel the test just so that Ravi Ashwin doesn't play, isn't it? It's, a, it's taking it to another level just to, to not get him in the side. But, you know, look, I, he's a tremendous bowler. I, you know, Probably the biggest thing that stood out to me when you were naming all those guys, Baldi, is what, a, what an amazing squad of T20 cricketers that they have in India. And, you know, I know we've talked about it a lot around that how the IPL has kind of just, it's built their depth in t20 cricket just to to an unbelievable level and you know when when you're leaving out guys like sanju samson and and all of that stuff and i think if you look through the lineup certainly when i look through the new zealand lineup um with a critical eye there's there's always kind of one or two gaps where i think oh you know i just don't quite know if we you know we've got if if these kind of guys fail then do we have enough to kind of get across the line? Whereas you look up and down that Indian order, and I just think, wow, what an amazing side! And they've got all those spinners. They they didn't even pick Yuzvendra Chahal, who's who has struggled a little bit. And and I think you know that probably on balance, I think that that's kind of fair enough. Even though he's been an established player for a long time, I think he hasn't really put the numbers together uh, in recent times as much as he might have liked, but. Certainly from a, a viewing point of view, he's another player that I, I love watching. He you know, tries to get wickets, uh, which I which I love, and he, he seems like the kind of guy who's pretty fun to have around. So, yeah, disappointing not to have in that squad.
1: The interesting thing for me in the makeup of this bowling attack, so they've picked Jadeja, they've picked Rahul Chahar, they've picked Arashwin, Akshar Patel, and Varun Chakravarthy. So they've picked effectively five spin bowlers in in that squad. They've only picked three out-and-out Pace bowlers. I mean, I know they've got um, Hardik Pandya, who who may or may not bowl a few overs, but they've got Jesper, they've got Bhuvikumar, and they've got Mohammad Shami. So no, no T Natarajan, uh, no Shadul Thakur, no Deepak Jahar. They feel a yeah. little bit light on, if anywhere, in that pace bowling department. They clearly think that it's going to be a turning wickets, a slow wicket tournament. But if you have a look, twelve months ago, IPL in the UAE, top wicket takers, Trent Bolt was right up there. Um, Kagiso Rabada was right up there the pace bowlers did a lot of damage this time 12 months ago in that tournament and we didn't really see spin dominate now maybe it's going to be different this time around maybe the conditions are subtly different maybe clearly they know something I don't but I'm, I'm just a little bit perplexed that maybe they've missed a trick there in taking five spinners and only three medium paces
0: time will tell with all of those predictions on both the T20 World Cup squads the resumption of the IPL, and of course, plenty more cricket um, going on with the Black Caps um, just about to start their one day as against Pakistan. We will be back on the Top Order podcast to talk news, views, and cricketing interviews uh, next week. We're also um, eagerly awaiting our next Hall of Fame episode where we're going to get to debate some wicket keepers, which will be good fun um, for me after the last five weeks just concentrating almost solely on offspin. But for all of us here at the Top Order Podcast. It's good night and God bless from us here in Auckland. We'll speak to you soon. Good night.